Hey, my name is Andy. If we have not met yet, can we just go ahead and welcome those who are watching online one time? Whatever state you're watching, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to One Church. If it's your first time, I just want to say hello. We are a brand new church. We just crossed our one-year anniversary. We launched last January, praise God. And uh, we really want to reach people from wherever you're coming from. I'm not going to assume that everyone watching online or in the room has been to church recently. I just want to welcome wherever you're coming from. Jesus meets you right where you're at. We are in a series called You and I, You and I, aw, the heart, Valentine's Day, you feel, aw. But we want to go a little bit deeper than Valentine's Day, actually a lot deeper than that. And the goal of this series is one specific thing, to win in your relationships. Now last week we talked about how to win in our relationships in church culture. We know that Church people, it's just crazy sometimes. You have to have forgiveness and you have to have peace and kindness. We are a family, right? We always say that before the greeting. And when you're a family, you're going to have conflict. Can I get an amen? Somebody's like, amen. You just went through a conflict. Okay, don't get too excited, all right? But we are in this series and we are now moving through this progression that I just want to put up on the screen again. This is from one of the books that actually we're taking our circle through right now. And this progression from connection, we can put this up on the screen. Everything starts with connection with God. That's the first step. And as you connect with God, then you realize, oh my goodness, I'm a very flawed person. I need to win behind closed doors. That the grace of God is not just to forgive us, but it's actually to give us, somebody say victory. To actually have victory over our sin. Who are you behind closed doors? That was January's series. Now, we're in number three. What does it look like to win with others? But we first got to win with God. We got to win our character. And then when we win with others, number four, it just takes care of itself. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, seek first, just turn to your neighbor, tell him, seek first, seek first the kingdom and all else will be given to you. We're just following what scripture is saying. Hey, first, Jesus has to be up on the throne. Then we got to win in our character. How many of y'all know that if you can't lead someone else or if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead someone else. You've you got to be able to lead yourself. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have to be able to motivate yourself. But I'm thankful that we also have this word. Everybody just say community. We've got community. We don't do life alone. You don't just have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But you have other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that can encourage you. And as Kevin Myers, my mentor, said one time, a mentor toward, told him, if you don't have faith, just borrow mine. That, that's what community is meant to be. But today we are talking about specifically romantic relationships. Oh, all right, everybody's like, okay. But if you're single, dating, engaged, married, I don't know where you're coming from. I want to speak to everyone to the best of my ability. But let's pray real quick before we jump into the word. Jesus, we love you. And I'm just reminded that even as I mention the word relationships, and some of us are even analyzing where we're at relationally, maybe we're praying for a spouse, maybe we're married and it's difficult, maybe we're married and it's going great, maybe we're engaged, maybe we're single and we don't even have a desire today. I don't know where people are at this morning exactly, but Jesus, you do. And as we open up your word in Ephesians 5, Lord, I just pray, Lord, would you hide me behind your cross? Would you be able to speak a word through me, Lord, where I can just get out of the way and it can speak to the hearts, the ears, the people that are listening online? watching people in the room. Jesus, we just want to ask that you would lead us in this time by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen Amen and amen. We are jumping into a message that is called Closed Door Good Father. 
closed-door good father. Ephesians chapter 5, we are in the book of Ephesians. We started in chapter 3 last week. We're going through chapter 4 last week, and now we're in chapter 5, and then we're going to end with chapter 6 as the series closes. Ephesians 5, 1 through 17, verse 1. It's going to be up on the screen. You can follow along in a physical Bible. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor there should be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this You can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. We're going to definitely come back to this. We can't cover every single verse. For because of these such things, God's wrath will come upon those who are disobedient. Verse 7, Therefore do not be partners with them. Just turn to your neighbor and just tell them, choose carefully. Choose carefully who you're friends with, who you date, who you get married to. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of righteousness consists, the fruit of life consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. Verse 12, it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. And we're going to read the last four verses here. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Verse 14. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Turn your nap. Tell them, wake up. Somebody's like, okay, they're dozing off already. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. Be very careful. Again, get Paul's heart as he's writing this. The careful wisdom of choosing who you yoke yourself to. Be very careful then. Now you live not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now I want to pause on this text. We're going to come back to it and we're going to go through this for the rest of the message. We can't cover every verse, but we're going to do the best we can. Going back to Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, right? God creates man and he says it's very good. And then he tells them, Hey, uh, eat from over here, but don't eat from this tree. You know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't eat from that one. And, and us as humans are like, okay, let's go eat from that one, right? And this is what happens, but, but the serpent is the one that deceives them. Satan, we see the serpent is representative of Satan, Lucifer. There's all this context that we can unpack. But what we see is from the very beginning, the root lie that Satan wanted all of mankind to believe in is this. You ready? God is not for you. God is not for you. And if you believe that God is not for you, then God can't be trusted. Right? Here's the first point. Let's just start with this foundation as we look through this text. God is, somebody tell tell your neighbor, God is for you, not against you. He's not out to get you. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Jesus came to give life, John 10.10, life abundantly. That God is for you. He's not against you if you are a believer in Jesus. Now, the Bible is really clear that if you are not a believer in Jesus, right, then until you are a child of God, which we know that we are adopted as children of God into the kingdom, then God is for us. But if we are not a believer, God is not for you. 
You got to know that. That's a sobering truth, right? It says in Scripture that you are an enemy of God at that point. But grace be and thanks be to God that while we were yet his foes, he still fought for us. You know that song, Reckless Love. While I was your foe, this is what the song is singing, you still fought for me. That Jesus came onto the scene and said, technically, theologically, this would mean that they are my enemies. But how many of you are thankful that Jesus loves even his enemies? That he blesses those who persecute him. And he speaks with kindness to those that rebuke him and say he's not real. Jesus still fights for them for the one, for the one. He still goes after us. I'm so thankful for that. But when we become children of God, we are adopted by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. Then the favor of God is upon you because you are a child of God. He is for you. That means that just because you are a child of God, that sometimes circumstances just come together and you couldn't do it, you couldn't make it happen, you couldn't orchestrate it, but just because of the grace of God, it just works out, right? He's for us. This is the foundation of everything we're about to talk about. So let's go back to the text, verse 1. Follow God's example, Ephesians says. Ephesians 5.1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children... Verse 2, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what Paul is saying right here. Walk in your identity. Walk in your identity. What Paul is saying here is know who you are and know whose you are. Here's the truth. If you don't know and you don't base your life out of Living as a child of God, knowing that I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm called, I'm accepted, not by what I do, but just because I am his son, right? If you don't live from this place of identity, here's the two places we're going to make most of our choices in life. You ready? Identity or insecurity. Almost every single decision you make on a daily basis is either from identity, I am loved, that perfect love casts out all fear, or I make a decision out of insecurity, fear anxiousness, disbelief, doubt. We have to come back to, everybody just say this word, identity. Identity is the framework for everything Paul is saying. Before Paul even tells them what to do, he tells them who they are. Okay, let me just say that again. Before he tells them what to do, he says, this is who you are. You are dearly loved children. And a good father only gives instruction after he first gives identity. Hang with me. A good father first tells you who you are and then tells you what to do. He doesn't say, this is what you must do to become who you are. He says, you are dearly loved children. Now walk in the way of the Lord. Identity or insecurity. How many decisions have we made this week out of identity or insecurity? This is what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Now, we looked at Revelation last week, how they were speaking to the church of Ephesus. In this section, John is actually writing a prophecy that he is hearing from the Lord, seeing a vision of the coming judgment that will happen to seven different churches. Now, this week, we're looking at the the church in Philadelphia. Now, as an NBA lover in my Bible, I wrote 76ers right next to that. You better believe me. Don't judge me. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not joking. To the angel of the Lord, verse 7. How did he fit an NBA reference into? Yes, it'll happen. The angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? He writes these words who are holy and true of who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, 
no one can open. Verse 8, I know your deeds. This is Jesus talking. See, I've placed a door before you that no one can shut. How many of you are grateful that only God holds the keys of your destiny? That even when people doubt you, they misunderstand you, they persecute you, they say things about you that aren't true. Jesus says, I know who they are and I still hold the keys. That no one can shut the door. Only he can open and shut doors. I'm so thankful. But here's what you need to know off of this. A lot of us, we hear this and we're like, honestly, Andy, I, okay, opening and shutting doors, that's cool. When I pray, I don't feel like I see any of that. Maybe I'm talking to someone who's like, you, you've been praying and you haven't seen an answer yet, it feels like from your perspective. That you feel like God is just silent, right? Here's what I want to put up on the screen. If Satan can't, if he can get you to believe that God is not for you, every closed door will seem depressing. Let's hang there for a second. If you believe the root lie that Satan wants, oh, God is not for you. God's out to get you. God's out to make you look stupid in front of everybody. God's just trying to exploit you and abuse you. If you believe the root lie, God's not for you, then every time he says no, you feel depressed. That every time he says not yet, you question his character. That every time he takes something away from you, you question his goodness. That every time it doesn't happen as quick as you want it to, you question his word. But here's what you need to know. A closed door is an answered prayer. Now this is where Jesus is inviting us to become mature as believers. To go from infants in Christ to become mature. To go from milk to meat. Where you can actually start to praise when God says no. That when you're praying for a job in a relationship and God says no, not yet. You have the maturity, you have the experience of walking with Jesus to say, I've tasted and seen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's never going to change or sway. Just because God said no. Look at Job. Everything was taken from him. Family, money, influence. He was literally stripped of everything. All of his friends, what did they want him to do? question if God was still for him. Oh, Job, you you talk about this good God, but look at the circumstances of your life. Let me just encourage you that there's a difference between happiness and joy, that the world's version of happiness is all dependent on circumstances, but joy in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with your circumstances. That he gives you, he deposits into you the gift of the Holy Spirit that says, if I feel good or if I feel depressed, if I feel anxious or if I feel sad, blessed be the name of the Lord who still is good. He doesn't change. Your circumstances change. Your feelings change. We put our trust in our feelings and our emotions. We're slaves to our emotions. But God is the same. He is consistent 24-7, 365, while you are depressed, while you are anxious, while you are questioning. If God is still real, He is so patient. He is a firm foundation. He's not changing. A closed door is an answered prayer. And here's what you need to know about the goodness of God. Every time God closes a door, He has something better in mind. Every time God closes a door, He opens another. I want to literally pause and I want us to move from infancy to maturity to literally praise God out loud for everything that he said no to in your life right now. Let's praise him one time. God, thank you for every relationship you said no to, every job you said no to, every little thing that he closed. 
He is for you. I saw this on Instagram. Ellen sent me this. I don't know who said this, but this was so good. They said, basically, God answers prayer differently than than we expect him to. This is what it said. I'm just going to read this. Just listen to this. This is what the quote said. Instagram real. I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me stronger. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for courage, and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people who are difficult to love. He answered my prayers. Now, on a lighthearted note, recently, one of Aliana's favorite things, I don't know why, is uh, she loves to, like, put a blanket over her head and run around and, like, run into walls. And so, as a good father, I think, should I let her do this? It would make a funny video, but I love her too much. So, no, uh, she likes to close her eyes and walk around. She thinks it's funny, and she bumps into me. Oh, you know, she's so cute. She's about to be too. Well, um, here's the thing is, Every time I tell her no, I've got something better in mind for her. Like, like, Aliyah, I know you want to run around with a blanket over your head, and you're blind, and you're running into walls, but really, what mommy and daddy just got you is this jump house castle that if you just stop doing this, I have something better. And I know that's a funny story, but this is the art of prayer. God closes a door. You don't see what he's holding behind his back. All you see is the door is shut. All you see is the no. All you see is the not yet. And your father is working tirelessly, endlessly, intentionally, setting up a set of circumstances and a situation to bless you and you don't even know what it is. But he's holding it here. Every single time the door shuts, Satan wants to convince you God is not for you. God is out to get you. God, get this, is out to punish you. How many of us know Jesus took our punishment on the cross? Thanks be to God that that is our punishment. But his son took our place. I'm so thankful that the favor of God is just gracefully given to us. So here's maturity. Praising God for a no and not just a yes. This is when you begin to grow in your walk with Jesus and you don't follow Jesus for what he can do for you. You worship him for who he is. You say, Jesus, I'm not in this for the likes, the cars, the house, the prosperity gospel. All that can go to hell. All that's just a false teaching. What I want is I want to know Jesus. Paul says, I consider all of that a loss compared to the win of being intimate with Jesus. That is the ultimate prize. That is the ultimate blessing. Even when God says no, he's holding this behind his back. The greatest gift is Jesus. It is. It's not even the open door. So here's point number two. God knows you better than you know yourself. I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Here's the phrase that we talked about last week. Follow your heart. This phrase really bothers me because even Christians say this. Churches say this. Follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. I want to quote this right here. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? I said this last week. I want to say it again. That that is the worst advice you could ever give to someone. Follow your heart. Our heart is deceitful 
Our heart is attached to our emotions. What does Proverbs say? Do not trust in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart will be misunderstood. Your heart will be confused. But Jesus is a firm foundation. Follow the Holy Spirit, not your heart. But here's a phrase that we always say with relationships, right? We're thinking about who we want to date, who we want to get engaged to, what we want the wedding to look like. Oh my gosh, how many thousands of dollars we're going to spend. Here's what we say. I know what I need. You don't need to tell me what I need. I know what I need. God, you don't need to tell me what I need. I know what I need. Really? Because God created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows you by name. He knows. This is what the psalmist says. We can skip to this, Darren. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have examine my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit and when I stand up. You know my thoughts when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and I, when I rest. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and I I know it well. You watched me as I was being formed in the other seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, as you saw me before I was born, every day of my life recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. Now, I remember this story. I've told this before, but I remember a moment where I got exactly what I wanted. 2015, I've told this story before. It's too good to just repeat. I had to repeat, so forgive me in advance. Couldn't think of another analogy. All right, so 2015, I was looking for a girlfriend. I got to Indiana Westland. There was a girl that I thought was really cute, and I remember, uh, you know, talking to some of my friends, and I saw her Instagram profile, and in that moment, in my spirit, I said, I know what I need. I know what I want, and I'm going to do everything I can to try to date her. I've told this before, like I said, we actually became boyfriend-girlfriend on a bridge out in Michigan. And the moment that we became official boyfriend-girlfriend, I lost all my peace. I got what I wanted. And here's where I want to reverse, Darren, in the slide right before this. Sometimes God will give you exactly what you want to show you it's not what you need. That God is so good, sometimes he'll even say yes when he knows that's not the best because he wants to show you It's really not all that it's cracked up to be, but you got it. I I mean, you you got the job. You you, you climbed the ladder, and you're finally there. How do you feel? Oh, I feel the same. I feel worse, right? That was me. Psalm 139. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, I want to skip to Psalm 37.4 for a second. Psalm 37.4 says this. How many of you have heard this scripture before? Take delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Raise your hands. Now, raise your hands. How many of you know this is quoted out of context? Keep your hand up. Okay. So let's just pause here. I see this happen with Philippians 4.13 and Psalm 37.4, probably more than any of them, Romans 8.28. We use this text to basically say, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to get everything my flesh wants. That, that, that's not the gospel. That actually we are not out to fulfill our flesh, but the Lord, in Psalm 37, 4, what this is saying is he's actually going to give you new desires. Turn to your neighbor and just tell him, it's not the old. He's actually going to give you new desires. One of my friends said this one time, I'll never forget it. He said, God is so good that he will shatter all of your dreams and rebuild them better than you ever could. 
the goodness of God to say, that is a dream, that's a desire that is not of me. I'm going to give you a new desire for what marriage should look like. I'm not going to give you that girlfriend because you're still addicted to pornography. I need to actually take these things and actually cut them off and really sanctify you. And then I'm going to give you something that's actually going to fulfill your spirit, not your flesh. Here's what you need to know. God always wants what's best for you. That is true through and through. Now, most people say that and they quote it out of context to say, oh, I'm going to go fulfill my flesh and all of the cravings I have. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny those cravings. And I'm going to lead you into an abundant life that's actually full of joy, not just temporary happiness. Where it doesn't matter who you're dating. It doesn't matter if you're engaged. It doesn't matter if you're still single. It doesn't matter if you're married The abundant life that Jesus offers us is actually separate from your circumstances. It's eternal. So Philippians 4.19 says this, God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. This was a verse that I chose to memorize going into Lienz and I's marriage because I was being taught by the Holy Spirit that God cares about all of my needs. Like, let's just get real. Even the sexual needs that God created us to have, that's not a bad thing. God wired us to have that. It's a gift. Sex is a gift that he has given. But every good gift, what Satan does is he manipulates it and distorts it. It was a good thing that God gave. And Satan manipulates it, turns into pornography. It turns into lust. When God said, no, 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 I actually wanted to fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. Desires I would give to you that weren't from the fallenness of your human sinful nature. I'm going to give you new desires, and I plan to fulfill every single one of them. This is all about trust in God. Trust in the character of your Father. So here's the truth. God won't always give you what you want, but he will always give you what you need. I'm thankful for that. Here's the lie of the enemy. Every single time, you're missing something. This is the the, the deceitfulness of the serpent. That they were in this perfect garden, free of sin, free of any pain. It was literally perfect. And the serpent comes around the corner and says, you're still missing something. It was a lie. And this is what we believe if we're single still. If you're engaged and the marriage and the wedding is not looking like what you thought it would be. Every single time, I'm standing right now and literally the, the, the dream of my dreams that God has rebuilt, that I got to marry Lienza. I am so thankful that God shut so many different doors along the way or I would have never have met her. But this is what the enemy still says, even though I'm happily married, even though I think marriage is one of the greatest gifts God could ever give, the enemy still wants to convince me sometimes you're still missing something. Here's point number three. Sometimes God's best provision is protection in our circumstances. Now here's a a verse that I want you to just write down and memorize this. Psalm 23.1. I think I put it in the notes. Maybe I didn't. Psalm 23.1. If you're taking notes, literally write this down. I want you to memorize this. I want you to quote it out loud. I want you to put it on your mirror. I want you to put it in your car, wherever you go. Psalm 23.1. I don't think it's up on the screen. This is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Memorize that. 
quote that. No matter where you're at right now, God has given you everything that you need. And he will. If you even feel like he hasn't, he will. Psalm 23, 1. So here's the third point. Sometimes God's best provision is protection. How many of y'all have heard this quoted before? Do not be unequally yoked. Anybody? Don't be unequally yoked, okay? Now, I agree with that. And then I think we swing it all the way to the other side. And we say, hey, don't be unequally yoked if they're a non-believer. Don't date someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Don't get engaged to someone who believes in Jesus. I would still say yes and amen. Like, follow that. But we swing it to the other side. And we say this phrase, as long as they're Christian... As long as they're Christian, you can date them. As long as they're Christian, you can marry them. Now, let's just jump back into the, the passage here. Ephesians 5, 6 through 7, says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes upon them who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, funny story I've told before. Again, I remember dating a girl, and uh, we were in college, and I went over to her family's house and we were hanging out, and, uh, you know, I had to go to the bathroom. So anybody, like, pray when you're in the bathroom? That's me. I'm a weird guy. So anyways, I'm in the bathroom washing my hands. And, like, in the middle of me about to open this door and go back into the family room, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, she is not the one. She's not the one. And uh, how do you go back and hang out with a family after you hear that? Anybody have any advice? Walk back, hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I think I got to run, you know, like, I don't know. I don't even remember what I did. But I remember in that moment, the advice of as long as they're Christian couldn't be anything further from the truth. I was dating a Christian. She was a great girl. She had a great family. Actually, she took me fishing, which that maybe was the moment I knew I was not supposed to be with her, but that's another story. <laughs> but, but I was dating someone who, who had good intentions. They had a great family. I have nothing bad to say about them. And Jesus said, this is not your person. Here's what I want to tell you. Just because they're Christian, just because they're Christian, does not mean they're your connection. Just because you work at the same place, doesn't mean you should be best friends with them. Just because you've known each other your whole life doesn't mean they should still be a part of your inner circle. Just because your family says, hey, they're a great Christian girl, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit told you that. This text is saying, be careful who you spend your time with. And here's the next step, is we move from praying in general to praying in specific. We don't just say, Jesus, would you give me the right person I can spend my life with? No, no, you start to really go deep in prayer and journaling. You're saying, God, like, these are the things I feel like you've called me to. I can't compromise. But what if there's someone specific? I know, like, so many times as I met Lienza, the Lord was showing me. I said no to all these doors because I had something very specific for the calling that you would go on. Those people aren't evil. They're not less than. They're not worse. They were just not your connection and the covenant that I wanted for you. Go ahead and stand to your feet here. We'll be done. So, funny story. One of Aliana's favorite things that she's doing is uh, when we turn the bathtub on, she like sprints. She's like, she hears the water and she's like so excited. Coco Melon, Coco Melon uh, training pants right now. Amen. Come on, anybody? Potty training. Yeah. All right. 
But when we turn that water on, the truth is, is that when we keep that door open, if she runs into that door, she's not even two yet, she could drown. That there's stories of that happening, right? And so as parents, we close that door. We turn the water on, we close that door. Not because we're against her, not because we hate her. We actually love her unconditionally. She is our daughter. She is the greatest gift that God's ever given us. But we close the door to protect her. That there's relationships in your life that your heart is idolizing, that you are almost lusting after, and God closes that door. Not because he's against you. He's for you. He's protecting you. Sometimes God's best provision in your life is protection. What if you showed up late a little bit to church today because you could have gotten in a car accident on your way here? Like oftentimes we point the finger at God and say, how could you let this happen? What if he was protecting you from something that could have been way worse? Here's the truth. What could be most dangerous is if God gave you everything you want now. I'm thankful for a God that doesn't say yes to that. Scripture's really clear that a good father rebukes, disciplines his son. If he doesn't discipline the children, then he doesn't even love them, is what scripture says. That if he would have said yes to everything we asked, he would not be a good father. So Ephesians 5.3 says this, amongst you there might not even, there shouldn't be even a, a hint of sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.3. And maybe I'm talking to someone as we close who has committed sexual sin. And I just want to encourage someone, first off, these two things. One, there is redemption. You need to hear this. There is redemption. And number two, God doesn't waste anything. So maybe you're in that position where you're like, I have messed up, Andy. I'm addicted to pornography. Maybe it's, hey, I'm living together with someone right now. I think, can I just step on some toes right now? I think we live in a Christian culture that excuses living together before marriage. That's not how God designed it. Really, God's protection is saying, save that intimacy for marriage. Save that sexual intimacy for marriage. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've moved in. Maybe you made those mistakes. Can I just encourage you first? There is redemption. It's not the end of your story. That God doesn't waste anything. But here's what I need you to know about sexual sin. Is when you sin sexually, you don't just open up the door to temptation. You open up the door to a lot of other things in your life. I remember in high school when I was sinning sexually. And I remember that when I made those mistakes, it wasn't just lust, but it's like you open up the door and all of a sudden fear, insecurity, doubt begins to plague your mind. You start to question who you are. You start to question who God is because you've opened up the door to things that are not of the Holy Spirit. And for maybe some of us, you need to make the decision to say, I need to shut the door and say no to the enemy. I'm letting too many things in my life that are not of God that you actually have to guard the door of your heart. Are you with me? So Ephesians says this, be very careful how you live then, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. Maybe you're in a season of singleness and you just need to hear this phrase, don't mistake. You ready? Don't mistake a season of pruning as punishment. That John 15 is really clear that Jesus prunes us. He actually cuts away things that are not of him. He says no to things because he loves us. He's actually cutting away things that cannot go with you into the next season. But don't mistake a season of pruning as punishment. And this is how you're supposed to wait. 
There's two different versions of waiting. Waiting, for a lot of us, is sitting. And then there's the biblical version of waiting where you're serving as you wait. Isaiah 40, wait upon the Lord. In the gap where you don't have the job, in the gap where you don't have the relationship, in the gap of even just acknowledging that you are sinful and broken before the Lord, in that gap, Scripture says, don't wait and sit on your butt and say, God isn't doing anything. God is saying, serve in the waiting. Wait like a waiter. Wait like a waitress. So here's the last text, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says this, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am and I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. Here's the last point, number four. The ultimate prize is not the open door. It's your open heart to Jesus. The ultimate prize is not the relationship. The ultimate prize is not the engagement, the wedding. Here's what somebody needs to hear, whether you're watching online or in the room, is you already have everything you need, and it's in Christ. You've already got it. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, you've already got it. You've already got it. Everything that God believes that you need, he has given to you. And if you feel like he hasn't, ask for it. He's a good father. Seek, ask, knock. He is for you. He wants what's best for you, even in the gap. Would you bow your heads with me? Right now, maybe I'm talking to someone who specifically says, Andy, honestly, I feel like I need to open or reopen the door of my heart to God. Maybe you've strayed from God. Maybe you've never even accepted Jesus into your heart. And right now the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart and just gently, gracefully asking, will you let me in? He doesn't come to condemn. He doesn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. That he wraps grace around you. He opens his arms open wide to say, will you come back to me, your first love? If that's anyone this morning, you just need to make that decision. Would you just raise a hand right now if that's you? Jesus, I don't want you to just be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. Just lift a hand right now. If that's you, you want to give Jesus everything this morning. You're not waiting anymore. The enemy wants you to push this decision off. He wants you to think, man, I'll wait 10 years. But Scripture is really clear. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. I see your hand. Anybody else that wants to make that decision? Let's pray this prayer aloud together. Just underneath our breath, heads bowed still. Let's just all pray this together. Just repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me for I've sinned against you. I repent of my sin. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood shed for me. I am made new. I am a new creation. And I receive your Holy Spirit for you all the days of my life. Just keep your heads bowed for a second. I just want to give a second response for anyone who may be a believer, but you're hearing me talk about sexual sin. Maybe you feel like you just opened up the door. As much as, as, much as it hurts to admit, you just opened up the door to things that are not of God into your life, and you just need a clean house. Would you just raise a hand if that's you? There's no shame. There's no condemnation. This isn't for me. This is for you and the Lord. 
Just look to him. Father, I just speak redemption in Jesus' name right now. God, as someone who literally had sex before marriage, who who literally was addicted to pornography, this is me, this was Andy years ago. God, I'm thankful that by your stripes we are healed. That your grace washes us new. That you give us favor and forgiveness and you even take the punishment that we deserve. God, I just pray that there would be a peace and a grace poured out on everyone right now that's just confessing before you, God, that we have fallen so short. That we've even believed false doctrines about what it means to do marriage. That we've believed the lies of the enemy. God, we just confess that before you. God, I just pray you clean house in Jesus' name. Clean us, Lord. Sanctify us. Give us clean hands and a pure heart, Jesus. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. You need to know this, that when Jesus forgives us of our sin, he forgets our sin. He casts it as far as to the east, to the west. The accuser is the one that wants to bring it up again and dangle it in front of your face and say, remember what you used to do. Remember the person that you are. But let me just encourage you, your identity is now in Christ. That he hides you under his wings, that his blood, his atonement, what he says about you in his word, that is your identity now. Not your feelings, not your decisions, not your past. You say, Jesus, I am made new. I am forgiven. And when you come to the altar, when you worship God, you can worship out of freedom. Is anyone thankful for that? That, that, that the Lord says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm making you into a new person. You won't even recognize the person you were five years ago. You won't even recognize the person that you were a week ago because the power of the Holy Spirit is regenerating you. He is reviving you. He is sanctifying you. You don't have to dwell. I'm thankful for that. Let's worship one time in the house for that freedom.